Do you hear that sound? That is the sound of the waves crashing against a bay, but not just any bay. It's a Baywatch because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School, a podcast where two men who have never watched Baywatch before try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Morgan Thrapp. And we don't know how to lead into a podcast, so here we go. So, Morgan, we're actually doing this podcast. We've been talking about this for many months, and now we're actually doing it. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to finally get into it. I still cannot believe this is actually a thing that existed. It feels a little bit like a fever dream, but it's a fever dream. <laughs> I'm excited for both of us to get to explore together. Exactly. So I guess the first place we should start is what did you know about Baywatch before going into this? I knew that David Hasselhoff was involved. I think Pamela Anderson is somehow involved in this. And I know that there was a somewhat recent movie that was apparently pretty bad. 2017. It's funny because one of my friends told me that it was actually really good. Uh, and then one of my other friends yelled at him for it. So, yeah, I think that's the that's kind of the baseline for is it really bad? Everybody else yells at you for thinking it's good. Uh, my interaction with it was I probably watched it uh a little bit as like, you know, pre-teenagers sort of discovering puberty a little bit, you know. <laughs> and then the funny part is there was a parody show called Son of the Beach, and it does not hold up <laughs> at all. Uh, they use like really bad language that uh, I do not condone. Uh, <laughs> but the one funny part about it was that the main character is a parody of David Hasselhoff in that he is 75 uh, balding, his teeth fall out at multiple points, and every 21-year-old girl in the show is super attracted to him and can't stop fawning <laughs> over him. So that was like my one experience to it. So I thought it was going to be kind of like that, but it's not. It's more of a soap opera, which as you've mentioned, you've never seen a soap opera before. Yeah, that's true. This was an interesting introduction into the world of soap operas and soap opera adjacent things. The closest I've ever gotten is having watched the original first two seasons of Twin Peaks, which I had always understood was a parody of soap operas, but having never seen a soap opera, I did not realize exactly how on the nose it was at points for just how cheesy and weird some of the stuff in Baywatch is. To jump into the episode very slightly, the the tense music we hear anytime Laurie is on screen. <laughs> yes. Ooh, oh man. Oh, it's so bad. It's funny you should mention Laurie in Twin Peaks because did you know Laurie was on Twin Peaks? I did not. Madchen Amick is, I, I've never seen Twin Peaks. I don't know the character's name, but she's on the first two seasons of Twin Peaks as a named character, as like a main cast character. I don't know what it is. We'll have to look it up later. I think it's sign starts with an S. It's like Shelby or something. I, I'm not sure, but actually that was her next role after this movie. Like she went from this to Twin Peaks because uh, she's never in the show again. Like this is her one appearance uh, because that would be a very bad show if this character appeared, which is, I guess, spoilers for later. I guess, do you know anything about the creation of Baywatch? Like how it came to be? Literally nothing. Okay, so I did a little bit of research on this. It's actually pretty wacky. So uh, picture it. 1977. I think uh, Morrissey was like a left-wing, like a radical left-wing extremist at the time. Uh, the police had maybe made a song. I don't know. Uh, but a guy 
named Gregory Bonin was this lifeguard on a beach. And it's the same beach where they actually shoot Baywatch for most of the series. And two children were caught in a riptide and he saved them. And these children were the children of one of the executive producers of the Mary Tyler Moore show. Wow. And this person was like so thankful for them that they like incorporated them into their life. And Gregory Bonin was like, this is the perfect chance to pitch my own job as a TV show. And nobody bought it. Nobody was interested in the slightest. But he was like, I'm going to use this chance to like learn about TV and how you make stuff. So in the middle, he, uh, as I put in my notes here, made some shit. Like he, he <laughs> did a few movies about the Olympics for some reason. Um, and he directed them. So then after years of that and still unable to pitch his pilot, his sister married a writer named Doug Schwartz who uh, I believe the quote was, he said, sure, why not? Uh, and then he got his partner, Michael Burke, in, uh, Michael Burke space in uh, to kind of work on this. But Michael Burke wasn't sold. So Bonin took them <laughs> to the annual United States Lifeguard Games, which are a thing, and Burke was so wowed by the spectacle of the entire thing. He said, we got to make a TV show about lifeguards. So they then were like, okay, now the, the crack team of the three of us will try and sell this. So they tried to sell it to CBS, who said, absolutely not. And NBC said, sure, why not? <laughs> because they just wanted something over CBS. And then the issue was like, who do we, who do we hire? And they originally wanted Lorenzo Lamas, and instead, they got David Hasselhoff, who three years earlier had come off of Knight Rider, which was super popular overseas and was getting a resurgence of popularity because, and I kid you not, Knight Rider was a show that was being used as propaganda in Soviet countries to try and spread American television ideals to then remove them from Soviet influence. So David Hasselhoff was like a secret political spy. And to be clear here, we're talking about Knight Rider, the same show where David Hasselhoff has a talking car and they fight crime? The same show. In fact, the show that also spawned one of my favorite ideas ever, Trouble in Paradise, which is Hulk Hogan, but with a talking boat who also helps the South win Civil War reenactments, <laughs> which, of course, Hulk Hogan does. So uh, that's kind of like the lead into Baywatch. So they got, they got the contracts for it. They got it written up, and they decided to film a two-hour pilot for NBC. And the pilot did pretty well. Um, and I don't know if you feel like we should spoil kind of what happens here, but I think it's pretty obvious that they made a TV show out of it. But the history of that is kind of rocky. But I think, uh, really, this is as good a time as any to get into what happens in this pilot, which is called... Uh, I didn't even write it down, so I don't remember. It's Panic on Malibu Pier. Uh, so, yeah, Morgan, you want to take us into the episode? Yeah, absolutely. This pilot is wild, <laughs> and I do not understand why anyone watched this and said, yes, we would like to make 10 more years of television uh, based no, on this. Uh, please. So there's 10 more years of... Uh, so there's... I did the research. There's eight more years of this. Then there's two years of Baywatch Hawaii starring Jason Momoa. <laughs> yes. What? That Jason Momoa. And then there's also Baywatch Nights, which is separate. And then there's another Baywatch spinoff. Uh, and then, of course... 
Trouble in Paradise, uh, starring Hulk Hogan. Is Baywatch Nights just even hornier? Uh, from what I understand, it's like the uh, like the darker version, but David Hasselhoff gets to do a little bit more of his like, I flip my leather coat, you know, kind of thing, and I get to like talk to women kind of thing. I don't know. I haven't done that much research. I'm just picturing from what you're describing the L.A. Noir version of Baywatch, which you know what? I'm into. I would watch that. You mean like L.A. Noir, the game where you can't read their facial movements, but the whole game is required for you to have to read their facial movements? Exactly. I mean, that's kind of what this show was. Bad and full of weird crime. Exactly. Perfect lead-in. Let's start us off. Awesome. So, yeah, this pilot episode, we open with a montage of a lot of feet on a beach with some of the most cheesy 80s music I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. After probably six to ten shots of different people's feet, we cut to the rest of the beach where we continue with a beach montage. Yes. For a very long time. I counted. It was two and a half minutes. Yeah, that checks out. That checks out. Um, the thing I cannot stress enough is that this montage sets the scene very appropriately for the rest of this pilot by being extremely horny. It's extremely horny, but in more ways than one. It's horny for, like, women. Like, it really wants to show women's bodies, but it's also really horny about how heroic lifeguards are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There are a number of very slow pans up a bikini-clad woman, which, you know, just real... Real good reminder of where in time we are. Which is 1989. Sure is. So after that, we finish with the montage, and then we cut to a boat race, kayak race, whatever you want to call it, where we're introduced to David Hasselhoff and his kid, whose name is Hobie, which is apparently a real name. It's a real... It's not. It's actually a brand of kayak. What? So I, I looked this up right before I, we, I came here, which was, if you look up Hobie, it's just a bunch of like kayak distributing and like water. They're not, I don't want to call it water sports because that's way too erotic. Though <laughs> it is kind of in line with the, what the show is about. It's all about like canoes and kayaks and boats and they're called Hobies. Now it would make sense for David Hasselhoff to want to call his kid Hobie because he's just that kind of guy. But at the same time, I think maybe that's too on the nose. It does feel a little bit weird to name your kid after a line of boats. <laughs> you know, I just call my kid SS Minnow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we finish up our little boat race by Hobie throwing his paddle into the sea, never to be seen again, because I guess we don't need that anymore. No. David Hasselhoff and his kid win the race against Jill, who is another one of the lifeguards. Which you were going to have, I, I found out some things. We're going to have a lot of fun watching Jill through this first season. Because, by the way, we're going to watch all of Baywatch. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, there's, I, I really don't, I want to spoil it, but I don't. We're, <laughs> we're, we're going to find out soon, though. I look forward to it. Yeah, to be clear, I have not seen a single other episode of Baywatch yet. I have only seen the pilot. I've seen the wrestling episode. Uh, it's the WCW Bash at the Beach crossover that happened like 
a year before the actual pay-per-view they were trying to do was, but they spoiled the whole thing by filming it ahead of time and airing it on national television. So they just kept on having to do the same match over and over and over and over and over. It's a choice. We'll get there. It's like 130 episodes into the show. All right. So we've got a little while. Yeah. Um, Jill and Mitch, who is David Hasselhoff and the kid all start rolling around in the sand on the beach. And then Jill calls Mitch fat and old and old. He's 30. David Hasselhoff was 37 and is the most ripped just in general. He's that guy where you're like, you have a friend as a kid and you're always like, or just seems like my normal friend. And then you meet his dad and you're like, why do you have a 10 pack? And it's that dad. <laughs> That's David Hasselhoff. Absolutely. Yeah, he's got he's got workout dad bod for Absolutely. sure. So after that particular conversation where Jill attempts to pinch David Hasselhoff's non-existent <laughs> belly fat, we cut to Mitch and Hobie having a conversation about how horny Hobie is and how some teenage girl asked Hobie to rub suntan lotion all over her. And Mitch tells him, essentially, stop thinking about it so much and just do it. It's weird because the way he does it is he, he first asks, well, is it okay to rub it on her back? And he's like, eh, just do it. And then he says, but what about her front? And then he says, I think she can reach all those parts. Yeah. Which, I don't know. I think this kid's like eight. So I, I don't know if that's enough of an explanation for him. We do find out later that he is 13. What? He's 13. <laughs> okay. I mean, he, he looks he looks six. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was very uncomfortable with this scene until we find out that he's 13. And then I was still very uncomfortable, but very slightly less so. All right. We finish up on the beach after that very uncomfortable, horny conversation with, again, a 13-year-old. And we cut to what is, again, a very, very 90s scene. 89. 89, yes. Of a fancy lawyer man in a Corvette talking on a car phone to his invisible girlfriend. With no wind noise. Because the top is down on this Corvette and he's just like... I can hear you perfectly, babe. Oh, yeah. He has some big fancy lawyer thing he's supposed to go do, but really all he wants to do is go down to the beach and be a lifeguard. His wife tries to talk him out of it, but he says, if I remember correctly, I just need to feel the sand between my toes. Yes, he does say that. This is the part in this where it establishes the first question of like, how legally binding is this lifeguard job? Like, it sounds like they're employed by the state, but can he really be employed by the state full time as a lifeguard and also a lawyer who just says things where it's like, I'm so busy in cases like wh what do you do with your time? Do you just pick which day? It's like, look, I know I want to defend you, but the sand between my feet, I just I just need it. It definitely feels like he is opening himself up to a lot of malpractice suits. Oh, absolutely. Especially... You bring up a good point because later in the episode, we do learn that all of the lifeguards have second jobs. Wait, wh what? Yeah, so there's a point later in the episode, I forget exactly how it comes up, but a bunch of the other lifeguards are talking about how it's so unfair that their second jobs aren't as good as fancy lawyer boy Craig's second job. What? Okay, I, wow, I don't know how I missed that. It's a, it's a very brief throwaway exchange. I think it happens, like, right as Craig gets to the beach. There's, like, a group of people on a 
porch up above. Oh, that's the part where they call him. They, I forget what they call him, but I have it in my notes as unintelligible. Yes. Uh, but yeah, that's basically what they call him. Uh, they, they call him something and then they're just like, it's lawyer boy. So they all know what his job is because he's there in a suit. Yes. Like going up to the beach, which by the way, this character who plays Craig, I know I've told you this, Morgan, but for anyone who will not be watching this, the Craig character is, imagine Dana Carvey in that movie, uh, Master of the Skies, where he does the turtle, turtle thing. <laughs> now imagine him standing up straight. That's that's what Craig looks like. He's just like a more ripped Dana Carvey. And you don't understand like why he's a main focus on this, because he looks like Dana Carvey. Yeah, he's a weird secondary main character because a solid third to half of this pilot episode focuses on him and Laurie in truly the wildest storyline to make it to television that we will get into later in the episode. I mean, okay, one, I feel like that's going to be beat by every other storyline in Baywatch, but also every storyline from like probably late 80s wrestling period. That's fair. <laughs> you had a you had a Thanksgiving monster that came out and decided to do the pulp. Okay, so there's this egg on Thanksgiving and out pops this thing called the Gobbledy Gooker, uh, which uh, is a bad name and game FAQs forums used to censor that whenever you would try to talk about him. So we always just call him the gobble. Um, and he comes out and Vince McMahon is like, Oh my, what do we have here? And then he, he, grabs someone's arm and does a square dance for like 10 minutes and then just the show ends and the character was played by this really notably like proud hispanic wrestler who has like 25 years of experience and he gets to play the godly gooker on his first chance on television ever wow yeah so it's gonna be beat by that <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. I have not watched, uh, let's say, quite as much wrestling as you have. Most people have not. <laughs> um, so we finish up with Craig for the moment. He's he's a fancy lawyer boy. He's in a swimsuit. He's on the beach now. And then we cut to a group of girls in the best Jeep mm -hmm. ever. I love this Jeep. I want this Jeep. It has the most, like, vapor wavy late 80s early 90s color scheme absolutely it's so good if nothing else watch the first 15 minutes of this pilot just to see this jeep <laughs> it's so cool should we be doing a podcast about jeeps instead of baywatch i mean maybe <laughs> uh that's fair let's 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 consider that we'll table that yeah yeah so all Three, four, I forget exactly how many girls. There's are in three girls in the car. Right. Three of them in the car. Only one of them ends up mattering, and only one of them do we ever see again. Yes. Shawnee. Well, actually, no, we see the other two at a party later on in the movie, or in the pilot, whatever, for a small bit where they uh, lambast Shawnee for being a shy person. Right. I forgot about that. Everyone in this show looks so generic that it's impossible to tell anyone apart by sight. But yeah, the, the three girls are in the Jeep and they're talking about being lifeguards and reviewing lifeguard procedures and things like that when they come up on well let's let's first talk about that so it's like she's reviewing notes like at some sort of biology assignment and she's all about 
like of course i knew that and they're just like reading stuff off and she's just reading off answers but she claims that she was like in rookie school hence the name of our <laughs> podcast Ta-da. um but like why would you still need to be reviewing stuff you got the job like i don't you know review a bunch of stuff about like well what is this company's hr policies or like what is the history of the creation of the company get hired by them and be like got to keep reviewing that information who knows when they'll just try to give me another interview once i've already been in the job like it just seems kind of pointless that's fair but also at the same time if either of us fuck up at our jobs no one dies and as we find out shawnee is actually pretty bad at this yeah that's actually yes but like all the stuff like I don't. I maybe I should go back and rewatch what the facts were. I wonder what the facts were about Riptide. That's a good question. I actually don't remember either. I don't know if they have that much like forethought. No, I don't think so. Absolutely not. But anyways, yeah. Who are these characters? They are a group of young lifeguards who have all just gotten their first job at this beach that I don't think ever actually gets a name. It's just Baywatch. Ah, all right. It's just because they're all stationed at different areas and so they get stationed at Baywatch ah on Malibu so it's like it it's kind of feels like the way they they describe it makes it seem like it's some old like fighting front where it's like okay you are at tower six and I am here at the Baybreaker wall um and I shall be defending Baywatch and that's basically what it is yeah it's they all think they're much more important <laughs> than <laughs> I would argue that maybe they are. Yes. Like, to be clear, saving people from drowning is a good thing. Yeah. I want to I wanna stress enough that people drowning is bad oh, and yeah. we do not endorse it. Oh, yeah. And from a utilitarian value, people not drowning is good. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But only really from a utilitarian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fuck conscience rights. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like this girl is the one we actually get the name of. And her name is what, Morgan? Is Shawnee. So, fun fact about Shawnee here. So, Shawnee is kind of controversial behind the scenes. NBC was not into the casting of this character. David Hasselhoff was. David Hasselhoff, like, met her and was like, oh, she seems great, let's cast her. NBC was not, because a few months before this, she posed for Playboy. So they were like, we don't want this intruding on the family-friendly values of our pilot that has nudity in it. <laughs> that does explain the large amounts of slut-shaming that goes on towards her throughout this pilot. Yes, it does. Wow. wow. Yes. All right. Well, good to know. Yes. <laughs> We're not, look, we, we are doing this podcast because we think this would be fun, not because we think this show is morally good. Yes. It's 1989 in a show about lifeguards. It's, it's not, it's not wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it gets a lot more wild as we go further. Oh yeah. Pilot. Oh yeah. So then we meet another character. We do, who I believe his name is Eddie, but I don't think we learned that for a while. We don't. I think we, we, she says his name is Eddie, but doesn't know his last name. And his last name is Kramer. And I think this is played by your new favorite actor name. Oh, right. Uh, his name is... Oh, you're so close. It's Billy Warlock. Billy Warlock. And his father's name is Dick Warlock. Now, Dick Warlock is his stage name, but... His son was like, this is too good. I'm just going to make that my real last name. So he took the name Billy Warlock. Oh, wow. Which, 
that has some great D&D vibes right there. I don't know why I'm not calling myself Billy Warlock. Yeah, that is a great energy right there. Mad respect to anyone who's like, yeah, my last name is Warlock. It's like I had a friend uh, whose last name was Bloodworth. And I'm like, look, there's you can pair literally any name with Bloodworth. And it's going to be good. Any name with war. You could even call yourself Warlock Warlock. And I'd be like, that's bitchin'. Now, speaking of bitchin', Shawnee thinks this job is bitchin'. She says it herself, which kind of threw me off uh, because I was not expecting a family-friendly, in quotes, show from 1989 to use the phrase, that's bitchin'. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of surreal. I honestly can't even say that I noticed it, which might say something about the content that I consume. It was multiple times, but it's only Shawnee that says it. Uh, And kind of everybody else, like, she says, that's bitchin'. And notably, each time she says it, no one says anything after. Like, it's like a hard cut afterwards. I don't know if that's because they don't want anybody to respond to it to make it seem worse, or just because... It's a weird phrase for someone to be using, but that's what happens. Uh, huh. And so they pull up next to a dude, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, this is Eddie, who is the most awkward brooding kid and also feels like he might be a little bit queer coded, but I, I can't totally tell. He, the first thing I thought of when I saw him, well, there's two things I thought of. One is much more of an obscure reference, which is he looks exactly like the drummer for the Smiths. Uh, And the second is that he looks like he should be a Kennedy. Yeah. Which uh, I think actually kind of ruins it for me because I can't imagine a Kennedy in this lifeguard show. But Eddie is just kind of a sort of a dick, I feel like. Yeah, he's not a great dude. He's skateboarding down the pier and the girls pull up and try and talk to him. And he basically just brushes them all off to go brood about how he's going to be a lifeguard. We do find out that Eddie came in first out of all of rookie school and Shawnee only came in 46th. And yeah, like, but and we have no context what that means. It's like test scores, swimming ability. Yep. Like, we don't know. Not a clue. And then so she says something about how uh, it would be really bitching if they get to work in the same tower. Because they're both stationed at Baywatch. And she mentions that she didn't want to get stationed next to this, like, airfield. Which I'm like, there's a beach next to an airfield with planes taking off. I, it doesn't seem like it's actually that bad. Just, like, you know, wear earplugs. But she gets to she gets to be at Baywatch. And uh, he says that veterans are placed with rookies. So, no. Goodbye. <laughs> And then he just skateboards off. He just skateboards off. What a dick. Yeah. So that is basically the end of that scene. It's a pretty abrupt cut after that, from what I remember. Uh, Now we cut to a girl in a very puffy jacket riding a bike. It's like a yellow sweater. And it's like, this is supposed to be Malibu. Would actually, and this is this is some behind the scenes right here. The pilot and the show was shot at a beach in California. Now, what happened for the pilot was they shot the beach in January, and the water was 49 degrees Fahrenheit. 
uh, and it was too cold. So they said, we need to go somewhere that's too hot. So they went to Hawaii. And just like the story of Goldilocks, when they got there, there were sharks in the water. <laughs> and the way they had to deal with this was they had to hire armed men with stun guns to stun gun the sharks if they came near the lifeguards. And they were just like, we're fine with this. We got to make do. We can't move it back to California. But they never considered, let's just actually shoot at Malibu. So they shot at the beach that Gregory Bonin, or whatever the hell his last name is, saved that Mary Tyler Moore producer, because I guess it was essential to the story. They shoot at the same place, and it was cheap. But uh, yeah, so it's really hot out. It's supposed to look. So she's just like, keeps on wearing this really hot looking sweater. And I don't get why she does it. Yeah, there's some possible explanation for it later in the pilot. Oh, yeah, you're right. There is. But it's bad. It's, no, it's not it's, good. Explanation. No, absolutely not. So she's riding her bike through traffic, clearly not paying attention, almost right. gets hit by a couple of different cars. She makes her way to the pier where well, she... Before we, before we get to there, this is, I think, the first example in my mind of the dichotomy of the music in this pilot. So, like, as you mentioned before, there's a lot of, like, 1989 pop music. Uh, and there's also classical music. And it kind of has this weird dichotomy that reminds me, and I know, Morgan, you have no context for this, which is like early 2010s anime. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're just like shaking your head. And the reason for that is like in early 2010s anime, you'd get music where it's like, hey, hey, let's go ride that skateboard. And then like two minutes later, you'd get like, in the hall of the mountain king or something uh and it'd be like it, so the way that they use it and in the same way that this tries to do it which is that you have the pop music with the vocals which fills time like it's just the other sweeping shots of the beach that fill the time while the classical music is to fill character so in here like especially in this scene what happens is lori or we don't know she's lori yet but she's lori uh is on her bike and the music is very, like, uh, I would call it heavenly and uplifting. And she rides her bike and she goes through the street. And right as a car comes up, it starts going down and gets very violent. Uh, and then, like, the car doesn't hit her. And she sort of, like, breaks away and drives off. And the moment she drives off, the music picks back up and it kind of crescendos. So what it's trying to do is it's trying to fill in the character for, for her, at least it's like, look at this person who's just like carefree. And here's like the problems that happened to her. And they keep on doing that theme of every time she portrays this like carefreeness, the music all of a sudden gets super low and the classical music hits in. So I feel like they're trying to use that as like another character, but they don't really do it that well. And that's because Lori isn't a great character. Yeah. The transition in music here is super wild. It gets, like you said, just super dark and creepy and cheesy horror movie all of a sudden. Right. As of yet in the pilot, no reason. Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she makes it to the pier where she hangs out smoking an unlit cigarette for a while. <laughs> I didn't even notice that it was unlit. Oh my God. Yes. It has clearly been lit 
and then put out because the tip is burnt, but there is no ember in it. And at no point is any smoke generated. The censoring in this movie is just a very, very, I I want it. I feel like some guy fell asleep at some parts and then was awake for the other parts. And that's how they censored it. Yeah, that would make sense. It is super inconsistent. And the things that they choose to include in this do not make sense. No. Much of which we'll get to later. So yeah, Lori hangs out on the beach for a while, looking very sad and angsty. She smokes an unlit cigarette. And As you do. Just, just kind of chills for a while, looking very angsty and foreboding. And then nothing happens for a while. <laughs> so the dramatic music keeps playing. And then we hard cut back to Mitch and Hobie who are talking about how since Hobie is failing at school, he needs to go live with his mom for the summer because being on the beach all the time is too distracting. Of course, Mitch's ex-wife, Hobie's mom, is too controlling and mad and doesn't like that Hobie, if he stays at the beach, his only career option in life is going to be to become a lifeguard. And even though that worked for Mitch, it's not going to work for Hobie. It feels a little weird and shitty. Um, it does. And it's it's weird because he, he mentions like, or Hobie mentions that he is in the junior lifeguards, which, oh boy, there is some weird ranking to this. Like, I don't know, like, do you go from junior rank guard, uh, lifeguard to rookie? I feel like maybe rookie should be before junior. Uh, maybe I'm just going off based off, like, software, like, tech job titles that junior should come after rookie. But, yeah, he's in the junior lifeguards. This is also a perfect time to mention that the original... Um, the original casting for Hobie was supposed to be Leonardo DiCaprio, but for some reason, God didn't like us, and he didn't get that, because that would have been amazing. I, I think if you could imagine Leonardo DiCaprio plus Baywatch would equal Oscars. Like, he wouldn't have had to wait so long. He would have just gotten an Oscar for this not actually a movie, would have probably gotten an Emmy, but they would have been like, two cares for giving you an Oscar anyways for this role because it's so good. Yeah, that would have been amazing. I'm very sad we did not get to see DiCaprio in this role. DiCaprio Hobie, yes. <laughs> Leah Hobie, DiCaprio Hobie. Um, so apparently, uh, Mitch is a lieutenant uh, and he's a cool dad. Uh, and we know that because he's got a secret handshake with his kid. And then his kid says, I love you, dad. And he like turns his shoulder around, points at him and says, I love you. Uh, like he would with his bros. Uh, but this bro is also his 13 year old kid. Um, and that's when we get to see the mom who is played by Wendy Malick from the comedy show, Just Shoot Me. If you've ever watched Just Shoot Me, this is very weird. Also because Wendy Malick does not look like the kind of person who would have been married to David Hasselhoff because he's uh, portrayed as like this super sexy studded dude. And she's just a normal person. Like she's like, I'm not trying to be mean to Wendy Malick, but she's just really normal. And that's great, but not for David Hasselhoff. Like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's a little bit of a weird pairing, but I will say she does drive an amazing station wagon. Oh, she I does. would marry her just for that station wagon. Did you notice in this scene how this was a, one of those scenes where they actually really tried hard with shot composition? 
because the way they do it is like she pulls Hobie into a car and they're shooting from the bottom, from the top down. And it really just shows her as like, here's this normal life I have. And she like looks up and she's like, ah, the sun's too bright. And then they pan to him or they cut to him and you're looking from the bottom up and like there's a sun glare behind him like he's Jesus or some shit. And you're just like, wow, imagine lifeguards, the greatest people on the entire fucking planet. I cannot believe he was one of them. He is truly enlightened and shall save us all from the riptides. It's a very weird shot. It is very weird throughout this entire show how much they portray lifeguards as the one savior between humanity and destruction. (laughs) Again, like we said, we are anti-drowning. Yes. But I mean... Unless that's your your thing. Yeah, sure, sure. No kink shaming. But at the end of the day, you're only saving lives at the beach and it's not like there's that many people when you consider the entirety of the population of the world that you're actually affecting. Whoa, whoa there. This is Malibu. This is the hottest beach on the planet. That's true. And uh, there are sharks and riptides. And as we shall learn later, explosions. And look, (laughs) as a lifeguard who has another job, you got to be prepared for anything on your off hours. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I think next we're introduced to two more characters or one more character. Uh, yes, this is where we meet Al, who is just days away from retirement. Yes, though Craig tells him that he found a loophole, which never comes up ever again. Sure does not. (laughs) The captain, who we will meet later, and is just your generic grumpy old man captain, who really doesn't like Al, does mention that Mitch should try and find some way to get Al to retire early. Yeah, but it's it, it's more like retire from the beach. Make him a suit. Exactly. But as we learn later, the ocean is Al's mistress, as he says over and over <laughs> and over again. Yes. And so he just can't leave. Yeah, he can't leave. And also because, uh, as we learn later, being a suit in the lifeguard business requires you to, like, wear an outfit. And Craig, I mean, sorry, Al, also likes to be on the beach in a fucking sweatshirt. And I don't get why everybody in this goddamn pilot wears a sweatshirt on the beach. Like, okay, when I was a kid, I was stupid and I wore sweatshirts in the summer, but I wasn't doing that at the beach. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Would not recommend. Yeah. So Al, as we learned, like he's near retirement of what? Who knows? Probably lifeguard. What is retirement age? We don't know. What does retirement mean? We really don't know. Um, But all we know is that Al and Craig at least know each other and they probably work together. Yep. We see Alan Craig in a locker room where the two of them are suiting up and Craig tells Al just how much he hates hard shoes. No, you mean Mitch. Is that Mitch? I genuinely yeah, cannot it's Mitch, apart. Mitch gets the suit because he becomes lieutenant. Right, 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 right. Right. Yeah, I truly cannot tell Mitch and Craig apart for most of this pilot. They look I mean, that's, so identical. That's, look, so their hairstyle is basically the same. 
Their face is basically the same. They're basically the same height. They look pretty much the same. Yeah, I don't blame you. However, one of them is Dana Carvey, and one of them <laughs> is like great value Dana Carvey, and the other one is David Hasselhoff. But David Hasselhoff is the one who clearly does not like wearing clothes, as opposed to Craig, the lawyer who does. This is true. Yeah, we learned that Mitch doesn't like wearing those crab stompers. <laughs> what? Does that is call- what he calls his hard shoes. Okay. And would much rather be wearing flip-flops. Uh, and this scene literally exists just so that Mitch can say that he doesn't want to wear crab stompers. <laughs> and then the scene ends. <laughs> Next, we cut to, I think, actually, Craig, this time. Yes. In a car under the pier as suddenly the car is under like three feet of water. Yeah. So like he's under all of these waves and this idiot doesn't roll up his window. Like, what's your problem? (laughs) I also don't understand why he was down there, why he was down there for so long that he got caught by the He was down there because he was observing the water patterns. Because the guys in the cars are there observing, like, the water to see, like, to predict if there's going to be, like, riptides or such. But in this case, he was just down there watching as a super mega wave just splashed at his car. And he was like, I don't know what's going on here. Seems normal to me. Only 20 feet of water just splashed on me. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It does not make sense. He radios to headquarters and says that he needs to be rescued. And then they say they'll send a tow truck and they laugh at the fancy lawyer boy for getting caught in a car underwater. And no one really treats this as it being the like extremely dangerous situation that it is. It's kind of just laughed off. Well, lifeguards are heroes, okay? (laughs) They go into danger and they know what they're getting into, as we clearly see from Shawnee later. The real thin blue line is lifeguards in the sea. Is that what? This is a joke I don't get. Like the the thin blue line, like the stupid cop flag. What? Okay, so the um, the cop flag. Yeah. Is a black and white version of the American flag. Except oh yeah, yeah. One of the stripes is a thin blue line. Oh, I didn't know it was called that. I I mean, I recognize the the black and blue, which uh, always seemed like kind of weird to me because it's like. Here is the flag representing the people who are literally making people black and blue by beating them up. Let's put those colors on our flag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the whole theory there is that cops are the quote unquote thin blue line between war and peace, essentially. Fuck. (laughs) Which explains a lot about just cops in general. Yeah. If you can't tell, this is a a very liberal podcast. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So actually... I hate to uh, hate to let everybody know now. This is actually a spinoff episode of Chapo Trap House, uh, <laughs> except for the part where we're not dicks about it, mm-hmm. uh, which automatically disqualifies it from being related to Chapo Trap House. <laughs> uh, so next is, I think, actually where we next see Lori. Yes, this is where we cut to Lori on the pier, still smoking her unlit cigarette and reading a letter that starts with Dear Daddy, and then we don't really get a chance to read the rest of it because she burns it and throws it into the ocean, then jumps up on the pier railing and does a very just, like, wobbly, gonna balance on this tightrope type of walk for a little bit. And yeah, the music gets really lively here, too. Oh, yeah. The music swells. It gets real dark and intense. 
And then she falls in, jumps. It's a little bit unclear exactly whether this was intentional or not. Yeah, I, I'm not sure either. I think it was unintentional, but given what we see later, I can't really know. Exactly. So we cut back to Craig, who sees Lori fall in and goes and rescues her. Gives her CPR. Exactly. And again, big, crazy music and all sorts of weirdness. Yeah. She gets taken back to the office and is given, wait for it, wait for it, a fucking sweatshirt. Yep. (laughs) What is it with sweatshirts? I don't get it. And she's given his sweatshirt. And meanwhile, her hair is perfect. Like her hair is just beyond. This is like the most amazing, beautiful, perfect hair I've ever seen on a human being ever. Like props to Madgen Amic. I think that's how you pronounce her name. There's an umlaut in there somewhere. But her hair is amazing. Yeah, it definitely does not. She definitely does not look like someone who was just drowning, even though during the CPR scene, you can actually see her breathing. (laughs) I I didn't notice that, but that's great. Yep. I mean, that actually might make sense given the plot. Yeah. So she's in the office. Mitch and Craig argue for a little bit about how Mitch shouldn't be a lieutenant and how he should still be on the beach. And then promptly that entire plot line is forgotten for the rest of the pilot. Yep. Uh, Craig talks to Lori for a while. And she, this conversation is very weird because she asks him, uh, if he believes in fate and he, he says he doesn't. And her response is you should. And then it fades. And we were, so we, by the way, we were watching this on, uh, we were watching the original airing of this. So we were, we found on daily motion. Whoops. Uh, and we watched it there. Uh, some of the, the the thing to know about Baywatch is that all of Baywatch is on Amazon Prime. However, it's heavily edited due to music licensing issues, which instead of like, in, in some areas they put new music, but in other areas they actually just cut out scenes. Like actually long scenes. Uh, I've done some research and there's a few episodes where it's like we cut out three minutes a whole of an episode just because of that. Um, but so we're watching the original, the original rip here. And in this part, we're watching it commercialists. So what happens is, is she says, uh, you should believe in fate. And then it just kind of fades to black and then cuts back. And it's a lot like an old Christoph Kieslowski French art house film where they just like fade for emotion and then back in. And, and I had to remind myself that that's where a commercial was and not that this is like some sort of like renaissance de art, you know? <laughs> um, and that they weren't just like doing this to kind of like carry the emotion of how heavy fate is. You know, they probably just needed to like, I don't know, talk about uh, hot pots or something. <laughs> that's what that's what the commercials are for, right? Hot pots. Exactly. Yeah. So you come back from the hot pot and they're just still there talking. Yep. Specifically when she asks Craig if he believes in fate, he goes, fate? Nah. <laughs> and then there's a big music swell and it is very weird. But yeah, we, we come back and... We're done with that scene for the moment. Well, there's one more, one more part to it, which I like to highlight, which is 
uh, and this may happen may have happened a little bit before, but she mentioned something about it's like what I'm just another like point for you, just another person you save. And he says, yeah, like three more, and I get myself a brand new car, which was actually kind of a funny line. And I sort of clapped a little bit. I was like, good job, Dana Carvey, uh, great value, GV Dana Carvey. Uh, but then he never does anything funny ever again. This is also where. When he's talking to Lori, he tells her that, and I wrote this down because it is the dumbest expression, that body surfing the pier sure is exhilarating. <laughs> what is, what? Yeah, that was my reaction too when I heard it. And then he kind of shames her for trying to commit suicide. And it's real weird. This pilot is not good about mental health. Like it's does not understand mental health struggles. Uh, and that is something I hope to really discuss as we go through this podcast, because from what I understand, the first season kind of has a few of those issues. Um, and season two on, they kind of got a little bit more freedom. Um, and we might talk about why this is at the end of the episode, but from season two on, they got a little bit more freedom in terms of what they wanted to talk about and not talking about mental health, but more talking about, well, they, they do a little bit, but talking about like, Things like AIDS and cancer and other diseases that win you Emmys uh, is kind of what they wanted to focus on instead. Uh, but it's very bad about talking about mental health in this case. There's one or two good moments in terms of discussions of abuse, but not in terms of mental Yeah, absolutely. We'll get more into that as we get slightly further into the pilot, but it's, it's bad. Yeah, but now it's time for parties. Sure is. Let's all have a party and honor Mitch. Oh, yeah. It's the most just awkward workplace party. Oh, yeah. Where they all stand around and clap for Mitch while he gives a very quick speech and tells everyone that the beach is now going to be even more competitive. We get one hint as to what that means later, but only one. Yeah. And it's very brief. We also, yeah. and I don't remember the context for this, but this is where one of my favorite lines in the entire episode comes in. Is it in. the toupee line? No, it's actually not. This is where, and I should have written down more context, someone says, just remember everyone, hips, lips, and fingertips. Yes, they do. I don't remember the context. I have no idea. I know it's in this scene. It, it comes right after the point where they're like, we want to have this party. And they say, no fat chicks. Um, only attractive people. And then they say hip slips and fingertips. And then they tell this one guy uh, to stop, to not bring his toupee, <laughs> uh, which is also, it's just a very weird smorgasbord of have people who never will appear again say some things. Exactly. And then uh, I think Shawnee uh, and Eddie come up to Mitch and uh, Eddie gets assigned Tower 27, which is very ominous sounding. And Shawnee gets assigned to be on a boat and she doesn't want that because she's a complainer. Uh, and she's told that uh, if she wants to not be on a boat and said be on a tower, she has to get a new bathing suit. And her bathing suit has like the whole like navel exposed and it kind of comes around the side. And she says, oh, well, I can like fix it. And they go with what and where? And then she just looks really sad. And this is, again, let's shame Shawnee, the TV show. And it seems even more with the context of NBC didn't want this Playboy model or like one time Playboy girl to like 
be in this show, it makes a lot more sense given this. Uh, just because, like, they just treat her kind of like dog shit. And she's supposed to be this, like, really sad young woman who isn't fully sure of herself. Yeah, they treat her really shitty throughout this entire thing. And this is definitely one of the more egregious examples of she's not dressed that provocatively considering, again, we've spent a lot of time doing slow pans up women's bodies while they're dressed in bikinis. She has, I mean, only very slightly, but more material on than a bikini would cover. Yeah, this show is very odd about it. Um, And also because, like, who are we kidding here? This is Baywatch. Like, there is some cleavage uh, in places, uh, and that's what this show is kind of known for uh, among... Uh, among most people, although apparently there's a small set of community that we will be a part of soon that recognizes it for the plot and not like in like the Reddit plot, you know, <laughs> way, but like the actual word plot. Um, but it's, it's just a very odd scene that you could totally take out. Um, and you could, you could replace it with something like empowering Shawnee or even something where you just say, Hey, Shawnee, like you were 47th in your class. Eddie was number one, so he gets to go to a tower. You have to prove yourself first before you can like be on a tower. Done. Easy. Don't say, well, you need to stop looking so sexy if you want to be on a tower. Like, it's odd. It's very odd. Yeah, it's not great. Right. And they decide to do, you know, really cut up this emotion by immediately cutting to a sweeping shot with music and 1989 pop music. Yup. And uh, they really make no sense. There's So as you mentioned before, it's hot people walking around. They cut to, and I still remember this vividly, there's an old woman sitting in a chair reading a paper. And it's just like, hi, I want to get to know more about you. Who are you? And then they cut away. And I was like, no, take me back. Yeah, it's so weird. These montages are so long. They do nothing useful. They they pad out the time on the pilot. That's probably what it's for. Yeah, that's true. Also, the show, the show titillation. <laughs> Is that the word, right? Titillation. You have to say it like that. So right after this montage, we have another scene of Laurie and Craig's office. She's snooping through his stuff and then takes a key. And just as she grabs the key, Craig comes back into the office and her and Craig have a very long and pointless discussion about how Craig's going to go open his tower. Yes. It, it's pointless, but it sets up. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it goes on forever. So much of this pilot goes on forever. Uh, it does. I mean, a Baywatch episode is like an hour and this was two hours. Exactly. So they had to pad. Uh And so next, I think, is Mitch meeting with the captain. Yep. We have the big scary boss man come in, Captain Thorpe, who... They actually give him a name? Yes. I believe near the end they refer to him by name once. I only remembered because his last name sounds so much like mine. Oh, yeah. That's... I mean, that's a good reason. But he... He comes in, and one of the first things he says to Mitch is continuing the trend of horniness, which is, you were a good lifeguard, Mitch. I'd take you on my beach any day. He does say that. He then also asks, hey, how's Shawnee? Yeah. Which is also weird. And he's like, thanks for giving me her, like, sarcastically. And it's like, 
she hasn't done anything yet, dude. Like she could like save like 40 lives and you're just like, yeah, she sucks. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Um, which doesn't last long because, uh, I mean, first, first the captain tells him Al needs to retire. Right. Um, and then they get interrupted by Jill. Yeah, Jill comes in and yells at Mitch about something. She comes in and says, do you want a lifeguard or do you want uh, a daycare? Or do, because Shawnee is irresponsible. Um, she implies that it's one that Shawnee is irresponsible, but also then says that they were on the boat and they were trying a, a boat and they were trying to save someone, a captain, Instead of helping, Shawnee got the guy's number. Uh, and so Shawnee is just flirting with people. So again, it's the let's fucking drag Shawnee through the sand show. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot that that's what that was. But yeah, they, they talk about that for a while. And then Mitch says, and I quote, somehow I detect a problem. <laughs> Great job, Mitch. This is why you're the star of the show. Yeah, it was just such a wow what an asshole kind of moment but thankfully we don't have to dwell on this long because we cut to the window where we see a man with frosted tips climbing into the window this is trevor cole an australian lifeguard yes who is in town because mitch beat him at the world lifeguard competition i know i thought i thought trevor Broke all of Mitch's records. Oh, was that it? I can't remember. I know they were in a competition and they're mad at each other. They, so I guess they're in a competition, but also that Trevor claims that all of the like backstroke records that Mitch had had placed, because I guess Mitch is like the uber Mitch of lifeguarding uh, and he's the like ideal. Well, Trevor is like the next really Aryan version of, of Mitch uh, and... He also uh, gives Mitch his card. Did you happen to take down what he wrote on his card? Oh, of course I did. Okay. He hands Mitch a business card and says that on said business card is his occupation, which is shark fighter and virgin converter. And then my notes say, fuck, I hate this guy. And then did you, did you write down what he says next? The next thing I have written down is that he offers to give Mitch a signed cereal box. So he does do that because he claims that he's famous and he's on cereal boxes. After giving him the card, he says, I've lost one or two fights, but that was only to the sharks. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I forgot about that line. I did so good at blocking it out. Yeah. <laughs> so he claims that he's just this like amazing swimmer and he's this absolute unit as they say, because of that, and by the way, Trevor Cole is Australian, but because of this, he decided that he wants to become a lifeguard in Malibu for some reason and says he came to America to be a lifeguard, but he has to attend rookie school first because of our weird rules. He, he got a job at like some like competing, like lifeguard beach, I don't know, whatever, uh, but then says, you know what? I can do the job wherever they don't want me to go to rookie school because water is water and victims is victims. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> it's, it's a line that I like to frequently use in my day-to-day -day conversation. Um, so next, I think we, see, we go to Lori, right? Not quite. There's a little bit more with Trevor that I do want to talk about. Oh, please do. Which is that 
he, like I mentioned before, offers a signed cereal box to Mitch. Yes. Yes. Mitch says, don't eat cereal. And then Trevor starts to walk away and Jill goes, I do. (laughs) And then Trevor jumps off the porch. Oh, yes. Does a couple of flips in the sand and just kind of struts away. Yeah, he does some like really cool front flips um, that were I, I mean, if those are actually the actor doing them, then like props to you, dude. But like it is unnecessary. Yes, it is so douchey. So then next is one of the the first. Well, every scene with Laurie is pivotal, but like one of the most pivotal to see what Laurie becomes scene, which is that Craig is dealing with this woman who doesn't look to be injured, but she apparently is. And Laurie goes up to Craig and says, hi, Craig. And he goes, hey, just like, hey. Um, And uh, and then like looks at the woman and then says, I don't have time. And then pulls her up to the tower. She puts out her ankle and he's like, I got to put up my little, my little, Booey, whatever, I don't know what you fucking call him, and then just pulls out a fucking tub of water and just pours it on her leg, and it's like, that's good. Yeah, I was very confused what any of this was supposed to accomplish. It's like, is it a jellyfish sting? Is that your urine? <laughs> like, what? I, like, I don't usually like heal from my wounds by by being having water poured on them, unless it's like holy water, or is this an RPG? Like, is Craig a druid or a cleric? I don't know. Uh, Makes sense. No, but Glory is very upset, and she just stares while wearing a sweatshirt and smoking a cigarette. Another unlit cigarette. Another unlit. Because look, here's the thing, Morgan. Nudity is an affront to God. However, cigarettes have helped preach the gospel. Uh, Actually, I think I just defended cigarettes. I don't want to be defending (laughs) cigarettes because cigarettes are an affront to God and nudity has helped preach the gospel. (laughs) So there we go. Exactly. Yes. Um, But she stares and some evil music starts. uh, And it, it sounds like some like witch drama or like 50s movie kind of thing. And then... This woman gets healed and she walks to her car and then Lori does what, Morgan? She goes ahead and just keys the entire thing. Just an extended shot of her just walking and keying the car. It's Lori is evil. She's so evil. Oh, yeah. And throughout this entire thing, you've got the most cheesy, generic, bad thriller music going on throughout this entire thing. Yes, exactly. And so the next scene is Trevor looking hot Mm -hmm. at the beach. Oh, yeah. At his beach, staring at hot woman through binoculars as very late 80s music plays. Uh, And then they cut from that and they cut to our boy, our boy, Eddie, our Kennedy. Uh, and he tries to help a kid find his mom. Yep. He sits this kid down in the chair and gives him a pair of binoculars, tells him they're magic binoculars. Yeah, which is weird because he's like, you know, kid, I could help you find your mom or I could let you do it, <laughs> which is like, why would you need the lifeguard? Yeah. He also manages to just be like super angsty and brooding. He he reveals some character which never comes up again in the pilot, which says that he he's had so many parents. His last name is basically Foster. I, I wrote down I wrote down the specific line. Oh, yes, because it was do. so good. When I was a kid, I had three moms and dads. 
let's just say my last name was Foster. Wow, Foster's home for imaginary kids. Get ready to sue. Uh, yeah, he's just a super Foster. And, like, I feel bad for him, but they never bring it up again. Nope. Hopefully it gets explained. Like, it doesn't need to be explained. He had many, many parents. Sure. But gets addressed more in the rest of the show? I don't know. But eventually, Eddie spies the one woman who has any sort of non-walking movement going on. <laughs> um, and he goes, hey, is that your mom? And it turns out it is. Yeah. Oh, my God. We, we finish up this scene. The, the kid and the mom are reunited and everything's happy. And then we have the first of the biggest tone shifts in this entire thing yeah. where we cut to now there's a riptide and there is the, again, just some of the weirdest music. So it's I have hypey intense. My notes here uh, don't make a lot of sense. But I actually understand them because I remember the scene vividly. Um, and I said, it's like a machine gun fire of slap bass. Yep. Yeah, that <laughs> checks just, out. And it's like, whoa, this is some serious shit. It's like Seinfeld in overdrive. <laughs> um, yeah, Eddie sees everyone running. And so everyone else has to start running. They call to the watchtower. They're like, he's hit water. Uh, I, I've got the specific line, in fact. Oh, yeah. I, I quite liked it. The announcer on the beach or coordinator in the watchtower, whatever you want to call him, uh, says over the radio in his best John Wayne impression, Eddie is getting wet and Mike's coming in from the north and I'll back them up on the beach. <laughs> I, I just love the, the phrase, Eddie's getting wet. It's so good. Because you don't need call sign, not call signs, but you, you don't need to to do any of this. This is your side job, dudes. Yeah. What, what are you, why? Yeah. Anyways, you know, like, so um, cars pull up, everyone's getting ready to run, and Trevor Cole sees Mitch run to the beach and is like, I ain't going to be beat by Mitch. So he runs on the beach too. Uh, and that's where we get like really the first action, which is a girl is drowning mm -hmm. and Eddie dives in to save her. Um, and then there's other people drowning and Trevor faces this, you know, deep, deep struggle. Uh, I wanted to say Oedipal, but it's not at all Oedipal, not in any way whatsoever. Please don't cut that. So, um, <laughs> Trevor tries to figure out, do I save the kid or do I save the hot chick? And Trevor's like, hot chick. So he goes and swims for the hot chick, but not before Mitch is like, Trevor, save the kid. He's closer to you. Save the kid. And Trevor's like, nah, fam, I want to get laid, <laughs> which I mean, mad respect. But uh Mitch is then like, I'm too old for this, and goes to save the kid because he is a good dude, as opposed to Trevor Cole, who is evil and villainous, a heel, the, di the dichotomy to Mitch's good guy lifeguard. You see, in every lifeguard, there exists good and evil. Some say <laughs> the first good lifeguard was actually Jesus, but to purge himself of the original sin. He had to split off the evil uh, from himself. Sort of, sort of kind of like uh, Piccolo in Dragon Ball, um, where, you know, Piccolo split off himself and Piccolo was the bad version and Kami was the good version. So think of it like 
Mitch is the guardian of Earth, the good Piccolo, and Trevor Cole is the bad Piccolo who tries to kill Goku and also shoots an egg sack out of his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically what Trevor Cole is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Mitch saves the kids. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a big dramatic moment, but then we cut to. Al on the beach who makes it to the beach just as everyone gets into the boat and is saved, which is just reinforcing the big bad Captain Thorpe earlier talking about how Al's too old and they should make him retire. It's it's kind of dumb. Yeah. But we cut back to a boat that's on the ocean that has a kid and the mom there. Shawnee is supposed to be giving the kid CPR, but she freezes up. So Jill has to come in and save the kid with Mitch. Um, it's, I mean... Well, it, it, it's not the best scene, but it's not the worst scene because it shows Shawnee crying. And it's actually very vulnerable because, you know, she realizes, like... It wasn't all about, like, partying and like, whatever. Like, she actually has to do the stuff, which is a very real thing. People freeze up and like, there's a kid dying. And like, I think that that part's great. Cause it's not, it's, it's, it's kind of dragging Shawnee through the mud, but in a way that actually makes sense as a storytelling device. Yeah. I think my only complaint with this scene is that it's again, so inconsistent with the rest of the show. It's the only part of the show that feels grounded in reality and serious, where everything else is this, like, super heightened melodrama, that it just felt very weird and out of place. And I wish they had committed more. Again, you have never watched the soap opera, so I get it. But, like, that's a soap opera, my friend. Yeah. That's just, a soap opera's key moments are every super melodramatic moment, and then intro scene and credits. And then, like, the part in the middle where you're just like, wow, that... I feel for that. And then you just get displaced by hyper stylized drama. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. Maybe I'll have to watch some more soap operas. I'm not going to watch more soap operas. I mean, you're going to watch more of this. Well, that's true. So you're kind of screwed there. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we, we cut back to the beach. We're on the shore with Trevor and Mitch, where Mitch yells at Trevor for being a horny asshole. And him and the woman he saved just kind of shrug and go oops and walk off together mm-hmm. which i kind of feel like maybe the woman should be mad that trevor abandoned a kid to go rescue her because he was horny thought her kid it's like it's like it's someone else's kid like she got say out yeah know. yeah <laughs> i mean look we haven't developed and we haven't developed the empathy of, of the malibu I don't uh, the Malibuian is that is that the the Malabite the Malibu, the Malabite yeah. sounds like some sort of like extra race that God turned into a pillar of salt because Lot because Lot did something to them um, or like this is going to be the weird so now this is a podcast about the Torah there's this part where so Sodom and Gomorrah right. I don't know how much you know about the Torah, uh, but so Sodom and Gomorrah are, are, have sinned uh, irrevocably. And so God is like, I'm going to bring destruction. Lot, who is uh, uh, Abraham's cousin, is there. And God tells Lot, okay, take your wife and kids and run away. And don't look back. Like, if you look back, something bad's going to happen. So Lot's wife turns around and she gets turned into a pillar of salt. So he is now very afraid and him and his kids hide away in a cave 
Now, this is the part that's not directly said in the Torah, but it's in all the supplemental material. And it's the part I had to wait till middle school before they were willing to tell me. Why? Because sex ed happens at the end of elementary school. Uh, at least it should for people. Um, so in this part, what happens is that Lot's two daughters think that the world is ending. So they get their dad drunk and they rape him. Uh, and they both birth children uh, and each one uh, forms their own nation. So the first one is called the Moabites. Moav in Hebrew means from my father uh, and Midian nights. Midian means from of, or from or of the nation. Moabites uh, are the tribe of David, King David. So part of his ascension to the throne is the fact that he's from this like bastard child line, but he was just such a great boy that he was like the best boy. And they're like, we'll forgive you. Um, and that's your Torah side, <laughs> side part of this podcast. Let's go, let's go back to talking about lifeguards. I look forward to whatever stinger music we're going to have for this recurring segment. More slap bass. <laughs> <laughs> So now is when Mitch's son, Hobie, uh, gets his payoff for the scene that was discussed at the beginning of the pilot, where him and Mitch talked a little too hornily about getting to rub suntan lotion on the back of a 13-year-old. We cut to said 13-year-old and Hobie on the beach. This 13-year-old girl whose name we never learned. No, we, we learn it. Her name is like... Caroline um, or something with a C or it's like Chelsea. It's like it's Chelsea. It's Chelsea. Could be. Could it's, be. It's very much Chelsea. I'm remembering it now because it was like, sorry, white people, but what is the whitest name we could come up with? <laughs> I, as a white person named Michael, uh, is, is ragging on white people names. Uh, but yeah, it's Chelsea. So he's hanging out with Chelsea. Chelsea asks Hobie to rub her back with suntan lotion and then tells him to untie the back of her bikini because she just can't stand strap lines on her back. Hobie struggles for a while and then accidentally snaps her bra strap. You know, real hallmark of 80s comedy. Always just a rousing good time. So finally he gets it undone pours a whole bunch of suntan lotion on her back and then just kind of stands there wiping his hands on his shirt for a while. And then she gets mad that he's not rubbing it in fast enough. Yeah, so it some, starts dripping prematurely. Ugh. Am I right? Ugh. Huh, okay. <laughs> so then some punk-ass jabron mm -hmm. named Brian, fucking Brian, uh, steps in and rubs her and she's like, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. She's she's clearly just. I apologize for this sentence. She clearly just wants to get rubbed, but like, <laughs> but Brian ain't the guy to rub. Yeah, she wants Hobie to rub, but Brian Brian's just got hands, and any hands will do for the rubbing. Brian and Hobie are also a very good example of how puberty hits at very different ages for guys because they are both ostensibly the same age. And Brian looks mm, 14 to 16 and Hobie looks eight, eight yeah. 10 maybe. You should. So uh, Hobie gets recast after I think season one or two. Uh, and then he starts to, you know, age over the course of it. And what if I told you that it becomes balding? Wow. He, 
he looks like uh imagine a balding buster blue that's what he ends up looking like and it's it is shocking well um which makes more sense for like the whole seal thing and like the hook hand um but doesn't make sense for baywatch not so much no um so then mitch they immediately cut to mitch and i thought mitch was going to be like oh yeah boy go get some but no instead mitch decides that he's very very fragile in his masculinity um and he's like well trevor has been doing all these things i can still do them i'm not old so he tries to climb the same pole to get into his office that trevor did but then his ex-wife catches him yeah it's it's kind of like a nothing scene like we learn his wife's name is gail and she's trying to file for full custody and he says and i quote how could you do this to me um which was very tommy Wiseau, and i loved it oh yeah uh, and, but that's like it's like nothing compared to the next scene and the next scene is maybe i have more notes about this scene than any other scene in this movie yeah this is a hell of a scene so next we go to a brief closing up montage which takes like 45 seconds of Craig just like <laughs> sweeping his tower and putting away a buoy and locking up. Did We didn't need it. We understand the concept of it's night, it's time for lifeguards to go home. Yeah, and they have some like playful music just to show us that it's playful. Exactly. Uh, Lori shows up back at the tower and gives Craig back his key that she stole earlier. She then says... I know you save people all the time, but this is the first time someone has saved me. And then proceeds to read him a poem that I did not write down, but it is very bad. Yeah. Also, mind you, this whole time, I don't know if you said it, she's in a sexy robe, as I call it. Yes. It's kind of, it. it's very much, how do I call it? It's, it's the robe that women in the 80s in a TV show who have just gone out of the shower and really want to fuck where. Yeah. And Lori really wants to fuck. Yes. Like, it's very clear. And the poem she does mention is a poem about us. And she has wine glasses. Um, and he stops her from drinking. Yes. Now, this is very important because he says... That's not allowed at the beach. Yeah. Not because she's under 21, but because it's not allowed at the beach, which I'm very sure drinking is allowed at the beach. Yeah. Like, that's weird. It's, it's also, I think, relevant that you mention that she's not over 21 because we actually have no idea how old she is. It is never said, and it's implied that she could be anywhere from about 15 to 20. She says she's at least 18. She does, but then later in the episode, we have no reason to believe her, and in fact, have reason correct. to disbelieve her. Very correct. So then I think next, Laurie says, or asks if Craig has a girlfriend, and he said he's married to a woman named Gina. Now, this is great, because I did some research earlier today, and the actress who plays Gina is named Gina. <laughs> <laughs> and then they got rid of her. She comes back next episode completely different actress oh, wow. not named gina well and i'm i'm actually really disappointed in that because i was hoping for some double gina action yeah uh gina by the way is also one of those uh, cases where in this show they try to 
portray matrimony as the plainest thing possible because Gina is also a lifeguard who just is your normal looking woman. She's not like a Playboy model. She's not like, well, I guess Pam Anderson's also a Playboy model. She's not Jill, who's just like a tall blonde woman who the actress who played Jill won Miss Universe. Uh, so it's like not a model also. Uh, she's just an, a normal woman who's also an actress. Yeah. Um, but uh, Lori makes a guess, a wrong guess. And it's like, um, I bet that you saved Gina and that's how you met. And Craig says, no, uh, those kind of infatuations burn out fast, which I thought was actually pretty good you know, good line because that's actually the truth. That's just like survivor trauma. That does, that's, that's something that people actually experience and no, those things don't last. Um, and so instead he says that what happened or the way they met was she was the one witness I couldn't trip up. So I married her. Yeah. I wrote this down as well because this felt very unethical to me. Now okay. I don't know a lot about lawyers. Let me be the first to say yeah. I'm not, I'm not a law boy myself, but I kind of feel like, it, you shouldn't marry key witnesses that you spend a bunch of time cross-examining. It just feels weird to me. Uh, it's absolutely unethical. I would hope it was after the case was done, but we have no evidence of that. Mm -hmm. um, so then Lori is like, oh, okay, cool. Let me go balance on the pier again. So she balances on the edge of the tower and Craig <laughs> rightly asks, why do you keep doing this? And she says, and I quote, I don't know, maybe I, so I could meet you. Uh, and then she falls, uh, in quotes, into his arms. And she tries, uh, she asks him to kiss her again. And he says, no, that was CPR. And then she gets upset and accuses him of thinking that she is too young, which is weird. So then she strips for him. And what? Yeah, that was very uncomfortable. It's shot surprisingly tastefully for how horny the rest of this show oh, is. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, she just kind of drops her robe and is standing there as another lifeguard drives up. Yeah. Owen. Owen. We never see again for the rest no, of the No, we see him once. Oh, we do? We see him. So later in the movie, Lori makes a scene and goes, he saw this, pointing to this scene. Tell oh, them what happens. I and he just goes... Mm. and does that face from the guy from L.A. Noir, that famous, like, meme, and just walks away. So this game, so this movie is L.A. Noir, the video game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but he never comes, This he, he never appears again in Baywatch, ever. Nope. Um, so then Lori runs off. Yeah, Craig talks to Owen, tries to convince him that it was all nothing, and Owen just kind of goes, <laughs> he, he's just very grumpy and, I forget his exact line. He's just whatever you expect a man named Owen to sound like. Sorry if there's anybody listening to this named Owen. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure you are lovely. This Owen is not. I do, I do actually have the exact exchange written down here because it was very good. Craig goes up to Owen and goes, I'm sure it's just some victim fascination. I'm sure it's happened to you. And Owen goes, no, and drives <laughs> away. <laughs> And it was, it was very good. I, I want this man as a background character actor. Oh man. The way he delivers it is so funny. Oh, that is amazing. Oh, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, so then they, they take us, you know, 
oh, that emotional tour de force, that scene, to another emotional scene where Shawnee is crying in a shower. Uh, and she's apologizing to Jill for, you know, not not being there to save this kid earlier. Uh, and Jill consoles her. And it's, it's, you know, kind of a nice scene. Um, we don't stay on it for long because uh, we got to talk about Al again. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, we do. So, yeah, tell us about the captain. What does he do? What does he tell us? The captain shows up and yells at Mitch about how Al shouldn't be on the sand and Mitch shouldn't be in the water and how he needs to go tell Al that he should retire or at least get off the sand. And it's more of the just like, well, I say that this is how you got to run it and I'm giving you a test and you got to do things my way or it's going to be bad for you. Yeah. So then we, we lead into... I think my favorite scene of this entire pilot. It's it's a hell of a scene. Mitch goes to talk to Al and Al is painting this giant fish painting. Which it's like an amazing picture. Oh, yeah. He absolutely did not paint. And then Mitch goes up to try and tag team paint it, which yes. is totally a thing that people definitely in real life absolutely do uh mitch tells him oh just fill in that part over there and it's like sure in like some comic books they're like this person inks and this person draws this is like you know that like there's this old children's book that you would find at the dentist's office of like the multicolored fish mm -hmm. it's kind of like that but there's just some like white spaces like white circles in there and owl's like you need to paint that in and that's a little bit odd to like be painting like that for one and two mitch just like grabs a paintbrush starts painting for like three seconds and is like i'm done i'm good i did my part yeah and this painting would have taken owl because this is huge. Like, this is dinner table, large dinner table length and width and height. Um, this would have taken him months. And oh, yeah. clearly, Al is all about the beach. So I don't think he actually has the time for this. Yeah, Al spends a lot of this scene talking about how the ocean is the great mistress and how he can never leave it. And when Mitch asks Al to get off the beach, Al says... I just need both my feet in the sand, but I suppose this isn't an ask, is it? <laughs> no. No, it's definitely not. Um, and that's that's okay, because you know what? Al is a risk to lives. Mm -hmm. he, he's just so old that, you know, he could get, like, sciatica, and then someone die. I don't know. To be clear, he looks like he's about 50. Yeah, yes. he's... He's he's a he's a fit dude. Yeah. He's pretty fucking fit. Like yeah. I I would not be afraid of this guy. Definitely. And you have like they've established at Baywatch it looks like. They have maybe 50 lifeguards. Uh and they have at least 27 towers unless they start from 25 <laughs> and then count up from there. Um they they've got coverage. They're good. Oh yeah. But we, we wrap up with Mitch and Al, and then we cut to what has been foreshadowed throughout this entire pilot many times, Mitch's party. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of very horny shots of women in swimsuits, and there's a bunch of karaoke and white people who can't dance. I didn't know if it was karaoke. I thought there was an actual singer, like they hired a singer. It's unclear. It might... If I remember correctly, and I probably don't because I don't know that much about karaoke, isn't like late 80s, early 90s when karaoke got really big? 
I mean, yeah. It felt, yeah. it felt like karaoke to me. I didn't see any device for them to, to see the lyrics, so maybe they just knew the lyrics. Could be. I don't really know. I, I was more just focused on, like, like, this does not seem like a party I would have had fun with. Now, mind you, I'm the least fun person ever. Not really. <laughs> I'm a lot of fun. Everyone knows I'm a lot of fun. But uh, thank you, friend. This is now a compliment podcast mm-hmm. where we give each other compliments. In a few minutes, I will give Morgan a compliment, but he's not ready for it yet. <laughs> so um, this house party just looks like not fun. It's It's like there's a pool and there's these big staircases everything's kind of dimly lit there's flashing lights everyone's kind of talking but they can't hear each other um and you get to see craig there and gina and gina and craig are making out um and we catch Lori at the party uh and she sees them making out and the next thing we see is shawnee is there and shawnee's in this like I can't describe this as anything but late 80s, early 90s outfit where it's like you kind of had this top that it's kind of like suspended like with like the black bra there and like the hair up in like a workout video fashion. Mm -hmm. And she's got like the really high socks with like the fluffiness at the top, the floof. I don't know what you call these socks. It's just very 80s workout. And she's obsessed with watching Eddie swim like this girl thirsty. And like I don't blame her because... Eddie's number one in in the class, and everyone knows that if you're number one at lifeguard school, you're number one at life. <laughs> um, so yeah, she's just watching Eddie and her friends from earlier in the Jeep are telling her, like, I don't know why she gets so excited by watching a guy just swim back and forth over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell you why. It's because she's thirsty. That's why. Oh, um, yeah. Which, again, power to her. Yeah, she, um, she watches Eddie for a while, and then... Eddie finally gets out of the pool and dries off and goes and sits far away from everyone in some weird entrance hallway. Yeah. And she goes up to him and tries to flirt, but he is just way too mysterious and brooding to have any time for her. You know, it's honestly like I saw this scene and I I thought it was actually pretty sweet. Like, because like throughout this movie, we've and I keep on calling it a movie. It is technically a movie, but it's more like a, it's, it's a TV pilot. Um, we continually establish Shawnee as like this, you know, a uh, girl who doesn't really know how life works. And obviously she keeps on failing um, and they kind of drag her through the mud. Uh, but this is a scene where you just see this like really sweet girl just like go up and be like, I see this guy is kind of awkward and I'm interested in him. And like, I want to, I want to go and dance with him. And it's, it's totally just like a kind of cute. I, I don't know. Like I, I dug it. Uh, maybe I'm just like a uh, fucking romantic or something. But uh, of course, romantic is the word you accentuate with the word fucking before it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was really, really cute. And of course, Eddie is a fucking dick. And he's just like, nah. And she's like, why? And he's like, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> the scene is. I, I'll say, honestly, this was one of the better plot lines in the movie is the Shawnee Eddie thing because it felt at least somewhat realistic and wasn't actively sexist. No. In this scene, though, they do have one of the most eye-rollingly cringe lines I've ever heard, which I think was an attempt to sound deep and came off badly, which he he mentions to her because he was also on a boat earlier. I guess I didn't notice. 
and says, when saving the girl by giving CPR, he felt like the victim. And I was like, excuse me? And he says something about like, it felt like while he was like reaching out to like do CPR, it felt like she was choking him. And thus he felt like the victim. And I can't think of any way in which you were the victim, my dude. Like how? Yeah, it was a little bit weird. I I believe it was actually that conversation was started by Shawnee kind of being like, oh, wasn't it cool that we finally got to do our first rescue? And then he's like, well, how dare you have fun with this? When I was doing a rescue, I felt like I was the real victim. And it was kind of like, dude, I, like, I get it. I'm sure it's traumatic to, like, be responsible for someone's life, but chill. Absolutely chill. Um, Next, we cut to Lori and Gina in a bathroom doing their makeup. And Lori realizing this is Gina, but Gina not knowing anything about Lori. Lori spins a whole story about how this handsome lifeguard rescued her under the pier and then they went back to his tower and made love and spins this whole story and then basically the two of them go out of the bathroom and Lori sees Craig and goes oh there's the lifeguard that rescued me and Gina looks at her and is like oh yeah that's my husband Craig And Lori goes, oh, my God, I didn't know. And then throws a whole fit about how we definitely had sex. Just ask Owen. Look at that guy. I thought you loved me. Why can't we go make out? They cut to L.A. Noir Owen just making that L.A. Noir meme face. Just that grumpy, I can read emotions. And he walks off. Never to be seen again, I'm sure, dying of embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's so weird. And it, it, it that ends the scene. Yes. And it cuts to the next scene, which is Craig at home. And Lori got his phone number and calls him. Yeah. Which is, it's so, this reminds me of uh, the scene in the room where, uh, they arrest Chris R or they don't arrest Chris R. They like grab Chris R and, and take him to what I assume is a prison also on Guerrero street where the hospital is. <laughs> um, and so uh, Mark and Lisa see each other and then they cut to Mark in his room and he's talking to Lisa on the phone. She goes, I miss you. And he's like, I just saw you. And it's like, that's what this scene is. He just saw her. Yeah. And now she's like, okay, so I left the party. I was super upset. Now we get to the real problematic parts of this, of this movie. Oh yeah. It turns out the reason Lori called Craig while he's in bed with Gina and Gina's mad at him. Understandably, Lori called Craig so that she could threaten to kill herself unless he comes down to the beach and meets her at the tower right away. Uh, Gina says not to go and that instead Craig should call the cops or a suicide hotline. And Craig says that basically he's the only one who can do it. He has to go. He says, I'll call them as soon as I know she's safe, which is like, that's what the suicide like prevention people are for. Exactly. I mean, in theory, the reality of it, unfortunately, is that actually they're often actively unhelpful to harmful. 
but that's another discussion we can have that, at another time. Again, this is the a very liberal podcast where we talk about some very interesting mental health stuff. And one of them is uh, suicide prevention and suicide hotlines. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gina says, well, Craig is going. She's going with him. Exactly. Which is honestly not what I was expecting uh, because I know how these tropes usually work and that's not usually how it works. Exactly. Um, but, you know, props to her. Um, so they show up at the beach. For some reason, they do not have flashlights. Um, and accidentally, in my notes, I wrote, they show up for some reason and they don't have flashlights. <laughs> Which, I mean, glad they don't. Um, and so they find her and she has bruises on her neck and on her arms. To be fair, we are told she has bruises on her neck. And this is, in quotes, explains all her sweaters. It doesn't explain Al's fucking sweaters. And I'm still upset by the sweaters thing. Uh, so Lori implies that someone at home is beating her. She also implies, again, the keywords here are imply, um, because she is an unreliable narrator, which is a horribly unfortunate thing for them to be giving a character. Um, they imply that her father is sexually abusing her. Um, so Craig says that he'll take her back to his house, keep her safe, um, which seems like a bad, 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 bad idea. I feel like it's fairly reasonable, it's, especially it's, it's since reasonable, Gina is on. But not for the girl who we've already established is making up lies uh, like to his wife about him. Um, it just seems like a bad idea for Craig. Not for Lori. It's a great idea. Take her home. Keep her safe. Like That's absolutely a good move. The reason I think it's reasonable in this case is because Gina is there the entire time, so she'll be able to actually see what's going on. Yeah. And it's better than letting Lori just run around. Uh, the other two things I want to say about this scene that just felt super weird to me. Um, one is that for a lawyer, Craig is super bad about not just asking leading questions all the time. Like most of his questions are like, oh, so your dad is sexually abusing her. And Lori goes, mm-hmm, yeah, exactly. My dad is sexually abusing <laughs> yes. me. Um, and also we find out that Gina had a friend who committed suicide when Gina was a kid. And that's why she now completely trusts Lori and doesn't think that Lori could have done anything wrong. Maybe I misheard the scene because I thought I heard the scene. Now, granted, I was potentially playing Spider Solitaire at the time. Um, and nothing's more rousing than a game of Spider Solitaire. And that is that she was mentioning she had a friend who was abused. And so she was talking about um, how frequent uh, uh, maybe spousal abuse is. That's what I remember it as. So what what was she talking about? So there was that. It starts with the discussion of abuse. That was very good conversation. Yeah, it wasn't bad. But then it goes to Gina saying that her friend took a whole bunch of pills and killed herself. And Gina can't stop thinking about, like, what if she had been there and been able to do something different? Which is why she's like, hey, Lori, come back to our house. Yeah, it's not not the best. It's not great. This is Hollywood uh, A-list scene because, you know, they talk about, I wish I could have done sign the saver. Now, Craig, put your lips on me. And they make out, and Lori watches from above. And I assume they have sex, and Lori watches from above. And this is very weird, and I need an adult. 
Yeah, it's really weird. But then the scene abruptly cuts to Al and Hobie, who are going fishing. Yeah, because uh, Al asked uh, Mitch earlier if he could take Hobie fishing because he understood about all the issues with the divorce between him and Gail. Uh, yeah, Mitch and Gail. And was like, it could help us have someone, a third party to talk to about it. And so he's like, I'll take Hobie. And Hobie likes Al and knows Al. So it just seems right. I don't know if you picked up on this part where he leaves some of his stuff behind and Lori goes through it. Yeah. Because that's where she gets a knife. Yes. She gets a full-on fish-gutting machete knife. Yeah. Yeah. That I think that happens after the fishing scene. Oh, yes. Absolutely. That does. Uh, oh, no, no. Actually, it doesn't. So, so Al and Hobie grab that. Uh, and then Lori steals the knife. Uh from Al stuff when he isn't looking and she then practices her stabbing. She, she just, the music heightens. She stabs the dirt. Yeah. While thinking of Gina making out with Craig. Right. And it's, it's really bad. And so they cut from this to Craig going to Lori's house. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Craig, Craig goes to Lori's house and meets Lori's mom where we find out that Lori's dad died 10 years ago. So Lori was not, in fact, being abused yeah. by her dad. And then when Craig asks what's going on, uh, Lori's mom says, and I quote, she hurts herself, Mr. Pomeroy, which, uh, yeah. She, so before that, she says it's happening again. She hurts herself and that she'd been in the hospital since Christmas or something like that. This is another case, as you mentioned, of, of Craig just horrible questions where uh, he tells her, I have, I have Lori at my place. She goes, what? I have Lori at my place. What? Can I talk to your husband? I'm not married. Can I talk to your dad? He's been dead 10 years. What? <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just very bad. Yeah. I, I love this shit. I'm just going to add, right, in case I haven't mentioned it here, I love horrible shit. I, I can't explain it. I just love this stuff. And this scene is a dream. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. It's horrible. It's amazing. We also learn, according to Lori's mom, that Lori's problem is that sometimes she becomes violent and tells lies. <sighs> <sighs> yeah. So uh, this scene is troublesome, um, uh, obviously. Uh, and it's really interesting because inter-reading about Baywatch... Uh, Baywatch, surprisingly, its key demographic was not men. Uh, its key demographic was 18 to 45 female. Uh, because, and this is based on like feedback from target audiences, that as the show went on, women saw empowered women on equal footing as men. And there wasn't any TV show at all really on television that was establishing male and female characters alongside each other with women getting just as big of a role and just as big of power as men. So like for a show that becomes that, this is incredibly shocking um, because it kind of destroys any female demographic because every single, basically every single woman in this show, in this pilot at least is treated horribly. And I know it gets better as time goes on, I'm sure we're going to have some good conversations about it. But like this, this, this is kind of a low. That's interesting. Yeah, I had no idea. I assumed that the demographic for this show was 
horny men in their 30s. That's what they that's what the producers originally thought as well until they actually used um, Nielsen ratings, which are, you know, you get a TV box. You don't tell you don't uh, admit who has the box, but they get to rate what they're watching and they get to monitor the TV, you know, switching channels. Um, And like this show was the most aired. So this is the part where we talk about Baywatch being the most popular show in history. Not really. It was the most, in quote, most popular show on television for a while. That's what they, they marketed it as. But really that means is that at its time, there was no other television show since that had been aired in more countries. So it was aired in, I don't even know if there's this many countries, 140 countries? I think there's at least that many countries. Okay. I, I, I'm also bad at geography. I, yeah. I feel like. um, uh, I know some things. A lot of things, some <laughs> might say. Geography, not necessarily one of them. Um, but it's aired in 140 countries, so it had more airing than any other show. So it had an interesting demographic that they didn't even realize what they would get. And a lot of that was due to like European, like like uh, Germanic. Germanic isn't the word, but Germany. Um, because, as he mentioned earlier, it was German and Balkan because... Um, sorry, Baltic, not Balkan, uh, because, as he mentioned, Knight Rider, super popular in Germany and uh, used as a tool of American propaganda in Soviet states. Also, um, and this is one I actually had to do some digging uh, for and only know through some research, don't ask me how, uh, was that as the show went on, obviously it added hot models. Um, and some of these hot models were in softcore porn films. And one of these softcore porn films was Emmanuel, which is a kind of a famous softcore film. Uh, it starred an actress named Krista Allen. And Krista Allen was also in uh, uh, Liar Liar. She is... Uh, God, I can't believe I'm going to say this sentence. She is mess known as big boobed woman in elevator. Uh, <laughs> it's a famous scene uh, where uh, uh, Jim Carrey just goes, oh, yeah, 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 like staring at her boobs. Mm-hmm. It's not a great, I hate, I fucking hate Liar Liar and I kind of fucking hate Jim Carrey. Uh, but uh, she was the star of that and that aired illegally in some of these uh, Baltic countries. Uh, and it was huge. Like everybody fucking watched Emmanuel. And it was such a hit that American producers were like, oh, well, let's start putting out a few more of these Emmanuel films as propaganda to there. So they kept on getting Krista Allen in these movies. And then, of course, she was like, I don't want to be doing a billion Emmanuel films. I know in at least in Estonia, there were 27 Emmanuel films. Wow. Crazy. But Krista Allen eventually joined the cast of Baywatch later on. So some of these actors were people who are like, in like soft core, like porn or just models and became internationally renowned like Pamela Anderson, right? Of course, just like when you think of people are like babes of the 90s, you think of Pamela Anderson. Uh, and that really pushed, pushed the male demographic up. But I guess it had the, according to the producers, unintended effect of also promoting the female demographic by giving them power, which, hey, men, Turns out, 
if you portray women as being just as able as men, which they are, women like it because people like to see themselves as being represented. Yeah. So wild to me that that comes out of this episode that is so just horribly sexist at times. And I'm definitely curious to see how they managed to make that transition. Yeah. Um, but speaking of terrible transitions. Yes. We now have another terrible transition from Lori's mom's house back to Craig and Gina's house where Lori comes up to Gina and tells Gina that Lori wants to make up to her and Craig by she's written a note on Craig's computer. And I, I wrote down this exchange because it is nonsense. <laughs> yes. Uh, Lori says, I wrote something on Craig's computer. Gina says, Craig doesn't like anyone using it. I don't even use his computer. And Lori goes, it's okay. I use computers in school. Yes. She says she also, I won't even go near that thing. Exactly. Then Lori talks for a while about how her therapist has told her that the only way to overcome her trauma is to either burn a letter or bury it in the sand or throw it into the ocean so that it's gone forever. And will Gina help her? So Gina says, sure, why not? I have here in my notes a line that says Gina is freaked out by therapy techniques uh, because it is a little freaky in the way that they present it. Yeah. Uh, it's not like it's a seemingly good plan. It's just not presented well. Yeah. Um, but so uh, Craig comes home. He can't find Gina. He freaks out. He runs everywhere. So then they cut back to under the pier. This is actually also one of my favorite scenes. I'd love to describe this scene. So what happens is they're underneath the pier and Gina eventually gets a hold of Lori's note. And the note is says something about like, I, I want us to be together and we can't be together. And uh, then it turns into some like suicide threat. Uh, and Gina's like, this is a suicide note. What? And then Laurie is like, you don't understand me. So then Laurie pulls out the knife and cuts Gina. She just like cuts her on the arm. Yeah. And like fair, fair props to Gina. She kind of dashes back a little bit. Uh, she has like one of those like street fighter, like double, like double tap dashes <laughs> back. So she like kind of just avoids the shot a little bit. Lori runs away. No. So Gina runs away and Lori chases after her with the knife. So then it's kind of this cat and mouse thing where like Lori's hiding in the shadows and Gina's running around. And so uh, Gina screams for help. And she thinks she finds Craig, but instead she just finds a homeless dude uh, yeah, for no reason who touches her. And then she's like, oh, and then she runs away. This was briefly foreshadowed before the chase when, so A, there's some weird time discrepancies here. So it's the middle of the day when they leave Craig's house. It is completely dark when they get to the pier and start to go under. Yes. Gina, Lori tells Gina, the homeless sleep under here at night right before they go under the pier. Uh, and then later, Gina runs into a guy who we're clearly supposed to think is homeless, and it's played as a big, like, ah, scary, which, like, okay, sure, why not? He's not doing anything. No. He's literally just there. It's yeah. kind of shitty. It's 1989, exactly. like, in, in Florida, so. But, um, yeah, 
Lori chases Gina around for a while. Craig finally shows up at the pier in his Corvette. We've cut a number of times to him doing some driving, trying to get there as fast as possible. He shows up to the pier and tries to get Lori talking, starts telling her that, no, don't worry, we'll be together and all this bullshit. So Lori reads him a poem that is so bad. And it's I so wish bad. I wish I had written down some of this. Oh man, I shouldn't have written it. Yeah, it's it's just utter gutter trash. It's so bad. But eventually Eventually what happens is at one point Craig tries to be duplicitous and he's like, Yes, I, I understand you. He doesn't say that, but he puts his hand through this wireframe fence and the shot very clearly kind of reflects off of his wedding ring while they do it, which is Actually, good shot composition. Great job. Uh, and so he holds her hand, and she kind of, like, sort of lets her guard down. And then he, like, twists her around and puts her in a hammerlock uh, and then takes the knife and then is like, ha-ha, I have saved the day. And basically, we never see Lori ever again. Mm-hmm. That's just yeah. it. It's just, like, done. Uh, we flash cut away from Craig having gotten the knife from Lori to Hobie and Al. They're on the boat. They got done fishing. They they caught a big fish. Hobie's real excited. And by real excited, I mean very lightly excited and looks kind of annoyed as he has through most of this Hobie, episode. To to play upon the big fish, Hobie looks just as excited as Ewan McGregor is through all of the movie Big Fish, <laughs> <laughs> which is not very excited. No, sorry. Ewan McGregor is excited. It's Ewan McGregor's son who is not excited. Yes, yes. I can't believe I messed up Big Fish, which <laughs> honestly is kind of the most apt thing for Big Fish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just like some woman sitting behind them going, that guy ain't a lifeguard. It's like, he's old. Yeah. And just making sure we know how old Al is. Mm-hmm. And Hobie interrupts to say, no, this man is a living lifeguard legend. And then says, Tell him, Al. And then Al says, I'm a living legend. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which, very unenthusiastically. Oh, yeah. So next next we cut to uh, a close-up shot of the galley on this ship where we see steam escaping from a canister and then cut to a pack of matches and then cut back to the steam and then cut back to the matches and then cut back to the steam and then cut back to the matches again. <laughs> And then they light one of the matches and the whole fucking boat explodes. Yes. Yes, it does. Which I cannot stress how completely out of nowhere this is. It makes no sense. It's not like other than that weird brief back and forth cut, nothing tonally up until now with this storyline has suggested this. I guess it's playing on the foreshadowing of like Al's about to retire, but it's so fucking out of left field. It it feels very much what I expect from Baywatch, having watched like two episodes of Baywatch. Uh, just like it's 1989 and this is what a fucking soap opera would do. But at the same time, you didn't expect it here. It's Morgan is not lying when he says it comes completely out of left field. It is so random. Um, and like, Clearly, everyone is freaking out, but like, I, I hope you have good notes here because the next few minutes are a blur. 
I don't have super great notes. Um, what I have is it's another big rescue scene as we completely ignore the entire Lori, Gina and Craig thing. Yeah. And then, yeah, there, there's an issue where they can't find Hobie. Exactly. So Hobie and Al are trapped on the boat underwater. My next note says this rescue scene is so boring. Completely forgettable. Like there's some woman under like stuck under the bow in the water and Al's just like, come with me and breathe. And it's like, you can have done that yourself. And it's trying to prove that he is heroic and that the captain was wrong. It's just, it's so boring. It's the second rescue scene we've seen in an hour and a half. And it's just, it's flash cuts to people we don't care about or know who they are pulling people out of the water. Oh, I want to spoil what happens because I have it in three notes here. Three sentences. Al is drowning, exclamation point. Al is dying, exclamation point. Al is funeral. (laughs) Uh, So Al dies and they host this big big funeral uh, and Mitch gets to speak over a PA system on a boat telling that he'll finally get to be with his mistress but there's no body I don't know what happened here uh, and there's just a bunch of people like crying on the beach and they have these boats that like go off in different directions and like powerful music plays and then it just kind of ends like the, the movie ends yeah the only two other things I have related to that is Chief Thorpe spends the entire time just looking super fucking smug. Yeah, he's like, I told you, <laughs> he was old. We we get to meet our favorite recurring bit, which is more sweaters. Um, Hobie is wearing a sweater what? in this How scene. did I not notice the sweater? Oh. I noticed the sweater because I want this sweater. It is so dope. Describe this sweater to me. It is this very late 80s, early 90s chunky, slightly fuzzy, black and white checkerboard sweater. Ooh, I want that. That is dope. I, I want it really so get into bad. more of the sweater fashion. I think I'm missing. I, I Do you think I could pull off some sweater fashion? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So uh, if anybody actually knows me and wants to like get me a birthday present, get me some, give me some goddamn sweaters. I'm ready to live up that 80s sweater life. Um I used to do, I don't know why I stopped doing sweaters. I used to do sweaters when I was younger and then was just like, yes, no, no sweaters. But maybe I, I feel like if we can, we're going to continue doing this podcast. Who am I kidding? Uh, it's COVID quarantine. Like what else am I going to do? Uh, mm-hmm. Like I'm going to need some sweaters as time goes on to truly get into the character uh, for this. Uh, my hot sweater tip, if you want good 80s and 90s sweaters, because you've seen my closet. I've got a number. Oh, of yeah. Them. You've got a lot of sweaters. My hot tip for finding good vintage sweaters is Poshmark. It's an online thrift Not store. Sponsored. Please sponsor us. Please sponsor us. I will. If anybody sponsors us, I will just be. What? I will happily read ads for you if you give me credit on your store and I can buy more vintage sweaters. That would be dope. We're going to at least talk about posh sweaters every episode until until they make it a sponsor. I hope there's more sweaters like throughout this show like there just gotta be and now that i realize it, i think i the they have sweaters because it's january when they're filming and it's cold but like it still doesn't make sense yeah i mean that was the movie so like yeah what are your thoughts yeah the only other thing is it ends on yet another beach montage with cheesy music that is not quite as horny this time uh i'm disappointed by the lack of horniness yeah it was um 
it was interesting. It's would, it's, would do you like it? <laughs> I'm curious to see where it goes. Okay, you're you're in a very different camp from me, and I know I'm a glutton for punishment. People who know me know I clearly like things that are good. However, I also more than most people love things that are bad. And I think I've built up a tolerance after watching many, many years of John Cena um, that I have built myself up to at least tolerate bad things. I love this. Like, I, I hate it in parts because the mental health discussion's horrible. Laurie, not a great character. I just love this thing. It's nostalgic. It clearly would never exist in 2020. And like, I can imagine that the 2017 batch, uh, bachelor man, imagine the bachelor Baywatch spinoff, <laughs> the 2017 Baywatch spinoff. There is no way it could, uh, replicate this. And from what I've seen of it, the 2017 Baywatch movie is just like, has jokes of, wow, Zac Efron is ripped. The rock is ripped. Uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, who's the woman who's in uh, True Detective? Also, who's? I have no idea. Okay, wait. Pause. Uh, not pause, but wait, 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 wait. Uh, no. Uh, that's it. Okay. So it has The Rock, who's ripped. It has Zac Efron, who's ripped, and they're doing things. And has Alexander Daddario, who has boobs, and her thing is specifically a scene where uh she like sort of jumps up and down and then tells someone hey look up here people the takeaway from people at baywatch which is my takeaway really otherwise is like it's for slow-mo pans boobs and people running but from what i gather there's a lot of action there's some heavy melodrama um I mean, I've seen now the wrestling episode, which involves uh, orphaned children, uh, cancer, and uh, like weird, weird discussions of like property rights. Um, so, yeah, because they got to figure out who owns the orphanage technically, and can you wrestle for the deed to the orphanage? Which is the best question ever asked. Can Hulk Hogan win back of the deed? Can Ric Flair take the deed for the orphanage? Who will know? Um, and it's not actually an orphanage. It's a youth bodybuilding group that for like orphan <laughs> children. It's, you know what, whatever. I do, I do want to, for a moment, talk about a youth bodybuilding <laughs> club for orphans. <laughs> because that is a great premise and I would watch that show. Yeah, unfortunately, it's only one one hour episode, uh, but it's one magical one hour. Like, I cannot wait until we get to that episode because I will have so much wrestlings to talk about. Uh, but like, as the show goes on, it goes from like melodrama and action and such. I'm just excited to see what happens. And even if it's shit, like, I mean, we're here, we're doing it. Why not? Yeah, I'll say this was much less boring than I was fearing it would be. There was some genuinely interesting parts. There were some completely out of left field melodramatic plot twists. And you know what? If they can keep up one of those every so often, fuck it, I'm in. Like, why not? Yeah, I mean, and this is the kind of show 
where they vied for the Emmys. They, I, I don't know if they, I think they, they did successfully later on, much, much later on in the show, but they tried to get Emmys many times throughout the show by doing a, like a cancer and AIDS, whatever disease plot. Cause look, can, cancer, cancer soap opera plots are Emmy bait. That's just what they're for. You know, you explore like the fragility of people having cancer in their death or whatever. And the Emmys eat and gobble that stuff up. I think what's more remembered for is, because I've done some research on this, is like seasons like three through like seven, which are the ones where it's got, you got Pam Anderson, you got Yasmin Bleeth, you got Nicole Egger. You just got all these like supermodels. Uh, and everyone's just like discovering puberty and watching on grainy television to just like explore puberty. Uh, and then you got David Hasselhoff with his semi-cut abs and Billy Warlock yeah. <laughs> just casting a spell on you. Um, yeah. What do you, so let's make a prediction right now. Uh, going forward, what do you expect from Baywatch? What do you think Baywatch could do to improve? And uh, really, what do you hope for from this show? From this show, I mean this podcast, really. Totally. I think the thing I'm super curious to see how they pull off is the transition you mentioned where this ends up being a show widely liked around... Widely liked or liked? Sure. A show a show liked and tolerated by yeah. the 18 to 45 women demographic. I'm very curious to see how they're going to pull that off. And I'm really curious to see if they're going to continue to do plots that are as wild and melodramatic as Lori. Like, obviously, from what I understand, we don't get specifically Lori anymore. But I am curious to see if we do other just like pulled straight out of a bad straight to TV thriller movie plots. Uh, as far as I understand, season one is more action-focused because of NBC. I guess this is the part where we can sort of just talk about NBC just a tiny bit. I don't want to go on too long because we are running a little bit long on this, uh, which is that uh, Baywatch gets canceled after season one. Um, NBC just wasn't willing to fund it anymore. It was way too expensive to film this show. Uh, and the ratings were pretty abysmal. Uh, and David Hasselhoff put in a bunch of his own money to save it. Uh, and then some German producers who love the Hoff because he's Knight Rider, um, were like, we're going to put some money into it. And then just a bunch of Baltic countries who also influenced by American propaganda were like, let's also fund it. Uh, and it kind of just built up enough funding that he became executive producer and the show uh, was again revived and then put into syndication and then lasted for 11 seasons. Like this show went on till 2001 and it's not even counting the Baywatch nights. Uh, I think there's also like a Baywatch Havana or something. Uh, and then of course, everyone's favorite, let the, let the South win the civil war just this once, uh, trouble, uh, trouble in paradise. Uh, <laughs> Which, God, I hope we include that as part of the canon of what we watch, because I need that in my life. Uh, not the South winning, but the Hulk Hogan part. 
Yeah, I think we can probably do a special episode where we watch a couple episodes yes. of that and talk about yes, it. Yes, because also there's a movie of it. Um, but uh, yeah, this show was canceled. So this was a successful pilot. It was viewed and rated very highly. It made money. It just did very well. And they immediately were like, let's push it to a season of television. So in that regard, this was a huge success. Um, and I don't know if we can really grasp just how big this was of a success because it led into the franchise we now know as Baywatch. And us viewing it in 2020, like, yeah, it's kind of a piece of, excuse my Yiddish, Drek. Uh, but like, it's a good Drek. It's, it's so Drek, it's, it's almost like a Drake song. That's a, cut that. That sucks. <laughs> that was bad. Keep it. I don't care. But that was, no. But they can't all be zingers. Okay. They can't all be zingers. So do you have any other last thoughts on this show? I think there's some interesting ideas here. And I think like you talked about, there's some surprisingly competent cinematography and shot composition at points that I'm curious to see if that continues at all or if we mostly just get slow-mo jiggle shots. I mean, I, I think it's going to be both. Yeah. I, I, I hope it's both because, look, I don't want to objectif objectify anyone, but I love the slow-mo shots, not because of the eroticness of it, but because I love how campy and corny it is, and I that shit makes me laugh. Like, yeah. What I'm going to find out from watching this show is that what I saw when I was a kid, I was mostly just due to, uh, let's just face it, horny teenagers uh, is now going to be like, uh, okay, I guess. Yeah, I can see why everybody was super interested in this. But at the same time, I'm going to be like, there's better stuff in 2020. <laughs> I can't. Cut that. <laughs> Cut that. Okay. So, yeah, I think I think this was a great start. So, yeah, I think that sums up my thoughts on Baywatch, at least this pilot movie. How about you, Michael? You got any final thoughts you want to share? The only thing I have is uh, is a sparse note I, I made that I, I researched earlier. Um, that just it's more just a funny thing because I've expressed a lot of thoughts on this. Which is uh, the act, the character Craig is played by an actor named Parker Stevenson, and Parker Stevenson was famous for playing Frank Hardy in the '70s show The Hardy Boys. Uh, he was uh, along Hasselhoff, like, because Hoff finished Knight Rider in 86. This is 89, so three years later, big, big role. Uh, most of the actors on the show were, like, kind of, well, the guy who played the captain was a somebody. And most of these other people were nobodies. Jill, again, played by Miss USA, Miss Universe. Uh, Shawnee was played by a Playboy model. Uh, Billy Warlock is a fucking warlock, of course. Uh, but... Parker Stevenson was one of those ones who was like, uh, he was kind of an established actor. And the great connection here was that in 1976, he played a starring role in a movie called Lifeguard, uh, which I, from what I saw, looks like a horror movie. Um, I'm curious, but um, he didn't really go on to do that much after Baywatch. Um, he came back for Baywatch. He does a few seasons comes back in season nine 
just like, uh, hey, look, I'm back. Uh, and like most of these actors are pretty cyclical. They just kind of go out and a new hot person comes in uh, and they just kind of revolve around. And at the end, we get, you know, the Jason Momoa uh, led Baywatch Hawaii. Uh, so I think this show is really interesting and that's established a lot of interesting characters and lead actors and i feel like everyone came through this show like i mean fuck hulk hogan is on this goddamn show do you know kelly slater is no i have no idea kelly slater is the most or the top professional surfer of all time he was so good of a surfer that they gave him a guest role and then a main starring role oh wow for a season on this show so like Basically, everybody just went in and out of the show because it was the most popular thing. It's kind of like Modern Family, where just like everyone goes in and out, or like 30 Rock, everyone went in and out. And I'm excited to just see people pop up and be like, oh, dang, I didn't know that they were in this. Uh, but I think there's just a lot of potential for this. And I can't wait to see what happens. And for that, I think we're going to have to wait, wait a week before we get to uh, episode one, which is the actual first episode of Baywatch season one, uh, which will be a much shorter, shorter episode. This is clearly much longer and we're trying to go into all the details to get you prepared. So apologies for the length, but clearly we love to talk. So yeah, I think, you know, if you are all willing to stick with us, I think this is going to be a real fun journey and we'll have some guests on uh, may not be people you actually know or care about or love, but there'll be people that we maybe care about or love, or maybe <laughs> not. Maybe we just hate these people, but we think they have a good voice. I don't know. Or maybe uh, we just want to torture them with having to watch Baywatch. You know, uh, some people have come on or come on. I hope they haven't come on to me about my Baywatch pod. Actually, if you want to come on to me about my Baywatch podcast, please, I'm single. <laughs> uh, Morgan is also single, so please come on to him for mm -hmm. this Baywatch podcast. Uh, but um, people have told me, that sounds amazing. I want to be on this show. And I would love it if people actively want to be on the show, if they reached out to, to either of us to say, hey, I want to be on this show. And like the ultimate dream is to get someone from Baywatch to talk to about Baywatch. Absolutely. I mean, look, I'm sure. And I hope he doesn't ever listen to this. I'm sure Billy Warlock isn't really doing anything important right now other than, I don't know, using his cantrip <laughs> to like cast some, what's that, what's that spell where it is, where it pressed it, pressed it, did it, prestidigitation is yes okay you can keep all of that in uh because i clearly do not know how to speak english um i would love to get more people on the show and just like enjoy the experience of of baywatch uh you know for what it is so yeah if you don't have anything else to say morgan i think i think we should drive off into the sunset with our sweaters, <laughs> uh, get on our bikes, smoke some unlit cigarettes, and uh, just enjoy the beach. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Baywatch Rookie School. If you want to find us on Twitter, our show handle is at Rookie School Pod. Morgan is at Morgan P. Thrapp. And Michael is at Snotsit. S-N-O-T-S-N-I-T. -S -S we'll see you next week. And just remember, hips... Lips and fingertips.